up, everyone? It's August 8th. We are here to do our wide receiver rankings. If you've been keeping up with the news lately, um, we can probably just throw all of our rankings out the window. Uh, we got Brees Hall running with the third string for the Jets. Traylon Burks running with the third string. It's it's officially the time of the year where the rookies, um, the depth charts come out and uh, everyone freaks out because they are not running with the starter. So uh, I would implore some patience here. We will get into a lot of rookie receivers in today's show. Um, I have two guests today. Um, I've got Ryan Heath joining me as always, but let's start with Chris Sanzo. He wrote up our wide receiver rankings. Very excited to have him on. He was a part of our What We Saw team last year, uh, wrote up our defensive streamers, and is a zero RB zealot, I believe we've decided to call him. So, um, Chris, welcome. Your first appearance on the podcast. Very happy to have you. Any um, exciting, I don't know, Twitter threads, uh, best ball drafts, anything you want to start off the show with? Oh, I mean... It, as far as best ball, that's that's a whole different animal. Uh, <laughs> kind of loving the fact that I can still get good price on on Trey Lance. I'm sure everyone is is doing the same. Uh, not as as sweet as it was earlier in the year, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, if Chris is our resident zero RB zealot, he's also our Trey Lance zealot. So uh, important things to know about Chris right off the top. So uh, I'm excited to have him on. Ryan, uh, what's going on with you? You were you were angry as we started the show, so this should be a fun one. I am angry, Eric, and it's because I just can't escape all of these insane tweets about players on unofficial depth charts. As you said, Brees Hall is a third teamer. I I think next year I should just pretend to be a beat writer and pretend like I have access to some random NFL team's training camp. I wouldn't even say the Patriots. I would I would say that I was at the Jaguars camp and just write whatever I want and see if it gains traction because it will. Yeah. I think another strategy is just to quote tweet the article and uh, write the the part that you're quoting as if it was your own thoughts. Um, so you can just kind of take someone else's work. That seems to be a really popular Twitter strategy. So, um, all right. Well, anyway, uh, like I said, we're about to get into our rankings here, but um, check out QBList.com. Uh, Chris wrote up a ton on these wide receivers. I'm sure he would much appreciate you checking them out because as I know, uh, these these rankings are a beast to write up. So lots of good stuff. Um, all of our rankings are uh, first what we saw is out. We got my draft guide. There's a going deep on T Higgins, why you should just uh, maybe pass on Jamar Chase on the, in the first and t- take the discount on T Higgins. Um, offensive coaching profiles, team previews, tons of awesome stuff. But um, instead of getting into news today, because this is already going to be a long podcast, we're just going to start right into the rankings here. Um, Chris ranked his top 60 wide receiver wide receivers for the site. Um, I'm going to mainly sit back and let him and Ryan argue over some of these rankings here. So <laughs> we're, we're going to get into this right up top. I'm going to start with Chris's top tier. I think it's a pretty standard top tier, but the, the order is a little different than uh, maybe consensus. So Chris's top tier is Jeff, Justin Jefferson at one, Stefan Diggs at two, Jamar Chase at three, Cooper Cup at four and Devontae Adams at five. So, uh, Chris, let's start out with this top tier. Um, just kind of what your thoughts are in general, um, and then uh, take it from there. Sure. I think the the main thing to take away is where their roles stand and how they've transitioned. Um, so, going more bottom to top. So, with Adams, he still would have been in tier one, obviously in Green Bay, probably would have been uh, in that two spot right above digs but i'm not going to discount him in in offense it's going to throw what 657 it's going to be closer to the the tampa bay kind of system i I would expect uh so i don't want to write him off as just oh well he played with cup and so did amari so they're just going to run him downfield and throw the ball in the air i I don't think that's going to be what happens 
if we move up to Cooper Cup, I think it's probably the one that everyone's going to yell at me about the most out of this tier. Yeah. Uh, so Cooper Cup is really good. And I'm not trying to say that he isn't. But there's a lot of little pieces in last season that make it easy for me to kind of take him down a few notches. Uh, just the, the old cliche about, oh, well, the other team has has that tape now. You, know, you have that, that whole offseason for preparation. And as we know, NFL, copycat league, they're going to, you know, they're going to start playing towards that and that, you know, just kind of trying to dial down exactly what they did. Um, when you go on further to the rest of the team, they brought in A-Rob, Allen Robinson, uh, not a slouch. Although there is question about, is he actually just hitting a decline? Did he just dog it last year? Because, well, who wouldn't with that bear squad, I guess. Uh, sorry to bears fans. Um, and then there's just a matter of TD regression. And I don't want to just blatantly say, well, he's going to regress because he's going to regress. Like there's more to that. He received a ton of targets compared to the rest of the league inside the five yard line. What didn't they have last year? A running back. Now they have multiple running backs. And I just can't see him being continually fed. I think he had six of his touchdowns inside the five yard line. That's like barber style kind of kind of touchdown vulturing right there. Yeah, I don't actually I shouldn't say vulturing, to be fair again, but you just don't get that much work inside the five. Yeah, I, know. I mean, now first of all, you're 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 talking bad about uh, you know, two excellent running backs last year, Sony Michelle and, and Daryl Henderson here. So how dare you say that the Rams did not have any running backs last year? But um, Ryan, what do you think about Cooper Cup as the fourth receiver? I, th- I think consensus probably has him wide receiver one, maybe wide receiver two behind Jefferson. Uh, what do you think about Cup at, at wide receiver four? Yeah, so this is going to be a common theme for me, sort of evaluating Chris's rankings. I really like a lot of the stances that he takes sort of directionally. But I think he goes a little, a step further than I'm willing to go in most places. But I do respect that in a lot of ways. So I, with Cooper Cup, I think the touchdown regression stuff is totally fair. I think the reason people want to fade him that might not be correct is Matt Stafford's elbow issue, which has, from what we understand, has been a problem for a while. It's not a new thing, but. <laughs> with the theme of weird training camp blurbs that gain traction for who knows why reasons, uh, people are acting like it's this new concern. Uh, for I just spent a bunch of time sitting on the toilet, reading articles from doctors about, <laughs> about what this injury is. And it seems a little unclear, but the bottom line is Stafford's going to play through it. It is probably not that big of a problem if they are resting and rehabbing it appropriately. Obviously hard to rest an arm during the season, but there are other ways that the medical staff can manage this. So I am okay with Cooper Cup down at like wide receiver two. I can understand wanting Jefferson over him. Uh, but I, I think we just, I think it's hard to push him much further down because of what he just did. Like it, it's so hard to argue with the production. He scored more than any running back last year. He like, it, it was just insane production. So yeah, I don't know. I know I'm not engaging super well with, with, with Chris's like pr- pretty multifaceted reason for ze- essentially zeroing Cooper cup. If you're not willing to take him as a top two receiver. 
Um, but that those are pretty much my thoughts. But I want to be wrong so badly. <laughs> I love Cooper Cup. I want him to be number one overall again. I want this to be a thing. But yeah, there's just there, there are really too many levels to it. I'm I'm with you. I'm not really gonna play down Stafford's arm issues because that. It, especially this early in the year, it's, it just feels like one of those camp stories again. And it's, oh, well, you know, he's got that arm, so we got we to gotta keep a close eye on it during all of camp. So make sure you check my Twitter threads. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I, I don't think many are going to push back with, with Jefferson or Chase in the top three. That's pretty clear, uh, clear cut across the industry. But I, I think a few um, casual listeners would probably push back at Stephon Diggs at wide receiver too. So uh, give me your take on Diggs, why you have him so high, um, and maybe is there some some positive regression coming here for Diggs? I I think there kind of has to be because although you do have um, the 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 slight system shake up there, uh, I don't want to completely pretend like it's all sunny days there. But I think people just plainly forget how good Diggs is, and so when you take an option out of the slot, I know that no one really just gets jazzed up to to play Cole Beasley. But in reality, he got over a hundred targets last year. And now that just has to to trickle through the rest of the system. And I can't see Stefan Diggs not getting some portion of that. And when I say that I don't think people realize how good he is, he has three out of his last four seasons and you know, give for, for injury and whatnot, um, are all over a hundred targets, uh, over a hundred receptions for that matter. And just in that far back year of 2020, he had over 1500 yards, but only eight touchdowns, which normally with that kind of yardage, you'll see a little bit more of an uptick. He had another 10 last year. So again, not touchdown starved, but I just think the opportunity this year is just going to go through the roof. I, you know, little spoiler alert, not a Gabe Stan, <laughs> just not a thing. But I yeah. do, I, I do have that energy for, uh, for Diggs. Yeah. yeah. I do want to add in on Diggs as well. Diggs actually set a career high in air yards last year, 1,850. That's very impressive. As we know, air yards are a stat that can be predictive of production in the future because it shows the opportunity that a receiver had going down the field. Kind of looking at some of his other stats too, though, uh, Diggs' yards per out run were down last year. 1.91 hasn't been that low since he was in Minnesota. So I think there's reason to expect him to just get back up to like the two and a half yards per out run type of player that he has been. And if he continues to get 1,800 air yards, then yeah, he's absolutely a top two wide receiver. I, I have no issues with the take at all. Yeah, and I, I I agree with Chris's take as well. If you're going to be down on Gabe Davis, you probably need to be higher on Stefan Diggs. You can kind of go either way on that one. If you're lower on Diggs, you better be higher on Davis or somebody else. Um, but I mean, two plus 160 target years from Diggs. I, I think he's one of the supreme volume receivers that we can get in this draft. and. I think coupled with probably the theme of some of these next tiers we get into um, between Tyree Kill changing teams, uh, we already talked about Devontae Adams changing teams, just with some of this movement this year um, with maybe the Packers passing game and the Chiefs passing game not as appealing as it once was just from a, a fantasy perspective. Like we, we've, It's really hard to look past digs on 
the highest passing team just about in the entire league with one of the best quarterbacks. So um, give me the top option. Like everyone complained about Diggs' this year last year, um, but it, it was still pretty good. We just didn't get maybe like the distribution across games and the touchdowns that we wanted, but it was like it was still 160 target season. So I think people are just kind of burned by expectations with Diggs, and that's hurting his draft stock. Uh, it's when you throw in the years that we've now seen in consecutive years between Jefferson and Chase, I think that actually waters it down too, because it's not as exciting. It is for the people in Buffalo, but not as much for the, the people just seeing now, oh, these young generational superstars that are coming up and taking the NFL by storm. Right. He's just that dependable target hog that's been there forever, or it feels like now. So, Chris, I mean, I think that's a pretty good rundown of the top tier. Um, I know how much you like drafting receivers. So I'm guessing that these are probably – are these your top five players on your big board? Um, do you sneak in Christian McCaffrey, or are these like picks one through five? This is how they go off your board. Surprisingly not one through five. I know. I know. Uh, but, yeah, CMC definitely sneaks in there. And I would be willing to – I would be willing to listen to Kelsey over – Adams, if you're in a premium league, especially it's a, if if you can get that extra scoring for what I think is probably going to end up being the equivalent of the number one by far in KC, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's that's worth the risk. Okay, so yeah, these are your locked in first round receivers. Um, you may be able to get them in the second half of the first round in your home leagues. So uh, yeah, I, I think we're locked in on these. So let's get to tier two here. Um, Chris's tier two starts out with CD lamb, which I love to see, uh, followed by, um, a, a hot take here, Jalen Waddle ahead of his teammate, Tyree kill, but let's go through CD lamb, Jalen Waddle, DJ Moore, T Higgins, Debo Samuel, Tyree kill, Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, and Mike Evans. So, um, Chris, take me through this tier, just kind of from a big picture perspective, how you're feeling about this group. This group is a nightmare to, uh, draft because of how they fall between uh, various ADPs, depending on which uh, what you're playing, best balls all over the place. Uh, if you're playing just strictly sticking to redraft on this one, you can see some people go early second, some are edging into the fourth. Um, I, we're doing that again with Deontay, but I digress. Uh, you know, Godwin going in, uh, I believe he's into the fifth now. It's just, there's so much range. Oh, same with uh, DJ Moore. Just the ranges are so out there that it's just a nightmare to try to peg down exactly where these guys are going to go in your home draft. Yeah, I largely agree with that point. There is definitely a lot of room to move here for most of these guys. And I can totally understand taking some unorthodox stances as you have, as we get into this tier. So to, to start out, I guess the first thing that sticks out to me is your take of Chris Godwin over Mike Evans. So you have Godwin wide receiver 12 against consensus, having him wide receiver 28 and you have Evans at wide receiver 14 against consensus, having him wide receiver seven. Uh, so here, here's sort of my take on it. I think that if Chris Godwin was completely healthy, had not torn his ACL last year, I would be right there with you. Uh, Godwin averaged two more targets per game last year. He was better in yards per route run. Evans low-key only had like a 16% target share last year. I, don't, I 
feel like that stat has kind of been lost in the shuffle this off season. And he's going as the wide receiver seven in round two. It's a, a little crazy to me. Yes. He gets it done on touchdowns. Mike Evans always gets it done on touchdowns. I set your watch by it, but it it's a little scary to draft a receiver that we just saw be targeted at that low of a rate. I mean, obviously the bucks led the league in pass attempts last year. They, May or may not again this year. I mean, they've lost some key pieces in their receiving core, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. So I'm not sure we can project as big of an offensive pie for the Buccaneers. And I'm also not sure if I prefer Godwin or Evans. Certainly Godwin at his actual cost. Uh, but I, I'm really scared to draft players that are injured in the preseason. I know Godwin's practicing, but... Uh, usually ACLs are nine month timelines and that would put Godwin in late September from when he had the surgery. So I think it's fair for people to still be cautious, even though he's allegedly on the practice field. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts with how you sort of balance that concern, Chris. That is totally fair. Just, just to start it out. And I think it also has to do, sorry, with your, uh, with your comfort levels and how you've built your team. So I have them as high as I do in the ranking because typically I'm not staring down quarterbacks coming off the board, my running backs being filled up, bully tight end going in there. It's it's usually a matter of, okay, I probably have at least three wide receivers and now I'm here looking at Chris Godwin as my fourth wide receiver. Right. Similarly, as long as you're not building him up to be your number one, I'm comfortable with him to and out because if you're looking at the, the rest of this tier and the next tier, I think you've filled up a good amount of your bench that you can take. I'm sorry, a good amount of your roster that you can take the shot on his upside. The target volume will, or I should say the, uh, the, the passing attempts, I kind of agree. They're going to regress. If nothing else, the issues they're having now with the offensive line really scare me and just where the targets are going to go when they're, you know, there's not going to be as much trash time if they can't get out to the same lead. And that would scare me for Evans, not as much for Godwin, but where I want Godwin is come around week you know, 11 or so. And I'm starting to make that push. Now we've transitioned and now he joins the squad it's like making an in-season move to get that final piece to put you over the hump. And for me, like I said, if I, if he's my wide receiver three and on you're you have the possibility here now where you're just dropping a wide receiver one right into your squad. And, and that really is a huge benefit knowing that you don't have to take from your current roster to improve it to that much. But again, you have to weigh, what you're going to get with obviously the there has to be the correct return on investment or it's not going to work. Although I have him ranked that high and I would take him over other people gladly. You know, it, it can't be, Oh, well he's next to my ranking. I'm going to take him in the third. You know, I, I still have to worry about value when it comes to the choice. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, when, when you look at this Godwin ECR uh, wide receiver, 28 um, Evans ECR wide receiver seven, you ranking Godwin ahead means that, if someone follows your rankings, they're not going to take Mike Evans. They're going to take Chris Godwin at a discount later. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a key point is that that doesn't mean you take 
<laughs> you, you don't take Chris Godwin in the second round or wherever. Yeah. Um, it's just something that you're penciling into your lineup. You're looking ahead and you're building the rest of your wide receiver core around the fact that you probably know you're going to get Godwin later because you're ahead on him. Yeah. And, and to go back now to Evans and according to the, why I would prefer uh, Godwin is just kind of like what we had already said that uh, Evans isn't going to get the same work as he would get towards the end of the games because they aren't posed right, they aren't poised right now to just run away with games especially some of these early games it's yay godwin's gone so mike evans should feed to a point sure but it's not going to be the same offense especially early you know that 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 big a hit on your line i i really think that people that want to look more into success success and and how it carries on start with the offensive lines and move out from there there's a reason these guys get you know, mega contracts in the inside of the line and half the people look at it and say, wait, who did they sign? And that's really what it comes down to. And although Evans, like you had said, uh, Ryan, that the, the, the touchdowns are there and I still think that they will be. I just don't think that the work that he was getting that 16% might not move, you know, Godwin there or not gauge steps in, uh, I know Gronkowski's gone, but now they bring in a, basically a trio. And I, although it condenses, he gets his tight end, he gets uh, his uh, his target share, he gets his red zone share. Great. I don't think that sixteen percent is moving. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility, and it. I agree. It makes drafting Mike Evans very scary. I. It feels like every year Mike Evans is around higher than I'm willing to take him. I I know a lot of people just draft him every year, but I. I've never, I feel like I'm fading Mike Evans every single year. And then it gets to be like week four and I'm ranking Godwin ahead of him for the week. And then because all his peripheral numbers are so much better, he's commanding more targets, yada, 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 more air yards. And then Evans catches two touchdowns and it's like, okay. (laughs) So I, that's, it's the Charlie Brown football that keeps, that keeps getting pulled away from me. Um, Moving on to another interesting duo in this tier. Uh, you have Jalen Waddle all the way up at wide receiver seven uh, against the consensus ranking of wide receiver 16. And then you have Tyree Kill down at wide receiver 11 against the consensus of wide receiver eight. So I absolutely love this. Uh, I've been singing Jalen Waddle's praises for the last two months. Uh, suddenly I'm in on all the Alabama receivers, which I <laughs> never have been for basically my entire life. But I, I, I am this year now. Uh so getting into it, Waddle had a 23% target share his rookie year, scored over 15 points per game. That's really impressive. We, he would be seen as this transcendent talent if Jamar Chase didn't exist uh, because nobody even wants to talk about how good Jalen Waddle is because Jamar Chase did all of it, but even better last year. Uh, but looking at Tyreek, he has only had a higher target share than Waddle just did as a rookie in two out of his six years in the league. Tyreek Hill gets it done on efficiency and on deep plays and lots of touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. That's how he has been a high-end wide receiver one his entire career. It's not because he commands a ton of targets a la Devontae Adams or anything like that. So I agree with you that there is a real chance that Jalen Waddle is targeted as heavily or more heavily than Tyree Kill this year. Uh, so I, I love that you have Waddle high. But 
I don't think I can talk myself into taking Waddle over guys like DJ Moore or T Higgins, who we have seen could, well, number one, DJ Moore has no target competition, but he posts 26%, 28% target shares anyway. T Higgins, we have seen him be productive as the second option in an offense. And the Bengals offense is likely going to be better than the Dolphins this year. So those are two players that I think from different angles, I would clearly rather have over Waddle. So I'm curious to hear you sell me even more on Jalen Waddle because <laughs> I, I would love to be even more out there with my takes. I, I'd love to sell them to you. So I think when you had said that their, uh, their, their share would be comparable I don't even think it's going to be as comparable as people think. Uh, I think you're going to have a four to six percent difference between the two of them. And one thing I don't understand is how people will just go ahead and say, "Oh, well, it's Tyreek Hill, so he's going to walk in there. He's going to have a higher target share because they paid him all that money." Well, they did pay him all that money, but they also invested a high first on Waddle. It's not like it's this undrafted guy that stepped in, did really well, but here comes $30 million Tyreek Hill. You know, it, it's not quite like that. And when you look at the system that they're going to be playing in, a lot of it is based on efficiency when you get away from the line of scrimmage. At the line of scrimmage, it's all about volume and the different ways that wide receivers are even manufactured looks. Not that Jalen Waddle needs help with that. But he's going to be able to, to take the benefit, uh, the benefit of that. And just the, the biggest part to me was, again, and I harp on it all the time, offensive line. It was as bad as it could possibly be. I want to go back and see if that line actually set records for how bad they really were. And I don't want to just sit here and blame it on the multiple offensive coordinators and the coaches and there wasn't enough turnover that it really made that much of a difference. It was bad drafting. It was bad acquisitions. And then it was bad coaching. Just the perfect storm to sink to his entire season for the most part. Now you give him more time. Jalen Waddle's not getting worse. You know, and that, and that chemistry between them isn't getting worse. That was a real thing. That was to his big, hey, I need to get out here. I have this coaching staff. We have actual expectations now. That's crazy. But he's still produced. And I just think that you're going to see Waddle maybe get a larger A dot. But that doesn't mean that he's going to get less targets. It just means that his targets are going to be better. And if they score more, great. He'll have, he'll have plenty of work in the red zone too. Because there's no big body targets. You know, you don't have the Devontae Parker. He's not running through there anymore he's not jumping up and trying to moss people there is nothing it's it's speed and it's system and i think that really benefits waddle even more than hell yeah the only thing i'll add is that jalen waddle is not the player out of these two that is on social media absolutely coping about about Tua's accuracy saying that he's the most accurate quarterback in the league when there are videos of Hill getting underthrown by like five yards in training camp with no defenders around him uh so I I think maybe Jalen Waddle has the better mindset he's got the dog in him and is focused on actually getting better during the training camp program uh rather than salvaging his image and 
justifying the decision to leave Patrick Mahomes to himself. So if we're taking the, if we're going for the mindset takes, I, I think Waddle has us there too. Yeah. And I think even if you can't get on board yourself with taking Waddle over Tyreek Hill, um, I, I think this is really important to just show you how narrow maybe this gap is. I mean, we've really just been underselling Waddle ever since he came into the league. I mean, even in rookie drafts last year, this guy was the sixth overall pick. Um, he just had a 104 catch season. Tyreek Hill's only had one 100 catch season. Like, again, I know Tyreek Hill is a big play threat. It's not about maybe 100, 100 catch seasons. That's not where you're getting your fantasy points. But what Waddle just did as a super high draft pick is very, very, very impressive. Tyreek Hill's hitting age 28. That's not over the hill by any means for a receiver. But, like, there are reasons to think that Waddle is still ascending. Um, maybe Tyreek Hill has seen his best days with Mahomes going with, to a new quarterback now. So, um, I agree with everything you all have said. Uh, it is hard to pull the trigger on Waddle over Tyreek Hill just from all of this past history we have with fantasy football. But it's so much closer than I, I think ECR would lead you to believe. And um, I've been drafting a ton of Waddle this offseason, so I, I'm right on board with this take. What if I told you you could pay a fourth for him instead of a second as well? And exactly. I, I don't think I've been drafting Hill at all this offseason, so that's another part of it as well. Um, and like kind of like you mentioned, that second-round wide receiver – uh, group is, is a difficult one to sort out. And I, I think that's our big decision when we're drafting receivers this year is if you miss out on the, that top tier, what are you doing with that next tier? So um, really good stuff here. Um, anyone else in the second tier you all want to talk about or does that wrap it up for the most part? Uh, no, I, I think uh, the only thing that I want to very quickly touch on um, was with, uh, with, with uh, Deontay Johnson. And I have to because why are we still doing this? I understand the offense is going to be worse. The quarterback play looks like it's going to be, I, I guess I can't say worse, bad, still bad. <laughs> but he gets open. He absolutely destroys every route on the tree. And still we look at him and say, oh, he's tied to that bad quarterback. Oh, you mean the one that just left that fed him 100-something targets? Oh, well. He only got it because of him. No, he got it because he's a really good receiver that gets open. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> so I can push back a little on Deontay Johnson as somebody that doesn't draft a whole lot of him. I acknowledge that he is one of the best bets on here to finish as a top 12 wide receiver. I don't think he's a very good bet to finish as like a top five wide receiver. And there are some players that you have ranked below him that I think are much better bets for that. So I think it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for ceiling, then I'm a lot more interested in somebody like AJ Brown uh, or a few other wide receivers that we're going to talk about in the next tier. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I will concede that Deontay Johnson, you can draft him in like the fourth round and yeah. he's not going to disappoint you. Yep. Okay, let's get into tier three. I'm not going to read this entire list. Uh, there are a lot of names on it, but it's a really fun tier. Um, we, we kick off with Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, Rashad Bateman. Uh, we got we got both of the Chargers receivers in this tier, both of the Broncos receivers. Um, we got fun names like Amon Ross St. Brown, Allen Robinson. So there's just uh, a lot of takes in this tier. I don't even know where we're going to go on this one. So, Chris, um, start it out whichever way you want to go with tier three, and uh, I'll let Ryan – I know Ryan is dying to talk about this tier, so you guys get into it. Sure. Uh, and actually, despite the fact that you uh, that you, you did say that, that both of the – 
Broncos receivers are on here. Uh, I think that if you just type in Jerry Judy's name into Twitter, uh, that there's going to be more than just threads that get, uh, especially Ryan, very angry. You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of hot takes right now uh, involving Jerry Judy. And I just wanted to, to very, very much off the top, just say it's not just Russell Wilson. There's other reasons around why you should be drafting Judy. He absolutely kills coverage. He has since the second he walked in. He, he has since college. It's his thing. I know it gets passed around of the words, oh, he's a good route runner or something to that effect. But what does that really mean? If you watch his tape and just look at the way that he's able to cut and on that cut also simultaneously create separation and more importantly, with the time routes creating target separation, that's exactly what you want in your receiver. I think it was uh, Stefan Diggs was talking about uh, the, the best you know, trait that a receiver can have is, is separating. And if, if that's what you want and that's what you're looking for, Jerry Judy absolutely did that. I do, I do concede that in the in his sophomore campaign, when you're supposed to be breaking out, he did not look the same after that high ankle sprain. Except that he was still doing it against coverage. He just didn't have that same explosiveness, so you could definitely see it at the target that it was maybe that defender that wouldn't have had that extra step had that step there, and then it became a contested catch, which we all know, not really Judy's thing. But this is exactly what he needs. He needs a system that's going to pick it up a little, is going to be able to hit every different level because he can play outside and inside. And there's been a couple of confirmations now that he will be used all over the formation and not just stuck in slot. And that would have been the case even if Patrick, sadly, had not gone down for the year. Yeah, so... I will jump right into Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton then. <laughs> um, I largely agree with your thoughts on Judy. I've recently come around on him. Uh, I, I'm happy to say that hashtag the analytics are finally in alignment with the film on Jerry Judy. <laughs> uh, and I, I think you are a little bit underselling how important it's going to be to Judy that Tim Patrick is unfortunately not going to be around this season. I just said that so morbidly. He tore his ACL. It's very like sad though. He was such a happy yeah. story. We I, need <laughs> wins once in a while, man. We need wins. Yeah. Um. But the thing with Tim Patrick is he was playing over Jerry Judy most of the time last year. Uh, he was running about six routes per game more than Judy was. So Judy wasn't really a full-time player last year. And as Chris pointed out he was when he was in the game he was awesome I, he was better than Sutton in yards per target yards per out run commanded a higher overall target share per game than Cortland Sutton did and all of that was on an average depth of target that was like five yards less so he has much less to work with and he was doing much more with it so if Judy is now a full-time player is going to be running as many routes as Sutton uh, and if he can keep up his efficiency, it's not that big of a jump to assume that he will. Then we're looking at a really dynamic and potentially transcendent player. Like I'm not trying to run out here and call him a league winner or anything, but I 
think that the uncertainty between how Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are going to be deployed, which one of them is going to be quote unquote, Russell Wilson's favorite that I think that's a high leverage situation that you need to attack in fantasy drafts. You should absolutely be leaving your draft with one of these guys. Uh, personally, I'm leaning Judy right now uh, to give Sutton his due. I, he was top five in unrealized air yards last year. He had almost a 1,000 yard season just in air yards that he wasn't able to catch. Uh, but if you look at the accuracy of the targets he was receiving, it was actually not any worse than Judy's were. So it's hard to say that bad quarterback play was completely betraying him. I obviously Sutton was coming back from an ACL the year before. There's a lot of factors here, but I think you can't dismiss one player or the other here but you should be taking a stance. And personally, I'm on Judy. Yeah, and I, I have flip-flopped on these two players all offseason. So um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask here. I, I do think probably taking the discount is the way to go at this point, and Judy is the discount now. So um, I agree. We should be both drafting both of them, especially with Tim Patrick hurt now for the season. Um, I think Albert O, as much as we maybe like him as a tight end sleeper, it's kind of hard to predict a ton of volume his way. So this really could get focused on Judy and Sutton. They both might pay off, but we need to be in on this passing offense. And we're getting them both outside a wide receiver one pretty pretty easily. So I think that's uh, that's a pretty nice bet to make is taking them as your wide receiver two, wide receiver three, because the, the upside is untouchable. So um, unless you got anything else on those two, um, Ryan, uh, do you have any other teammates here you want to talk about? Yeah, let's just keep going with the teammate dichotomies. I, I love how this show has come together. Uh, <laughs> so let, let's move over to the Chargers now. Chris, you have Mike Williams ranked at wide receiver 18. That's about in line with expert consensus. They have him wide receiver 19. But then you are fading Keenan Allen in a brutal fashion, really. <laughs> expert consensus has him at wide receiver 9. You have him down at wide receiver 21 under Mike Williams. And I think when I first opened your rankings, this was what jumped out at me. I was like, wow, no, no way that I'm, I'm going to be able to find anything that substantiates this. And I, to my surprise, I think I agree with you now. Uh, <laughs> so Keenan Allen did have sl slightly more points per game than Mike Williams last year in terms of fantasy production uh, from anecdotally Williams was really good in the first half of the year and was not really delivering what we wanted in the second half as somebody that had to rank him every single week. Uh, but just looking at their peripherals, Keenan Allen had a 25% target share. Williams was a 21% target share, but Mike Williams was slightly more efficient. And if you look at Allen's efficiency over his career, his yards per out run have been declining. He used to regularly post two and a half, but he was down to 1.78 last year. His target shares used to be up at 27, 28%. He was down at 25% last year. I think it's totally possible that we just witnessed the first step of Keenan Allen's decline and he's still being priced like it hasn't happened at wide receiver nine. For Williams' part, he just posted career highs in all of these efficiency stats in yards per out run, targets, targets per out run, target share. So I think the question is, did Mike Williams just suddenly become way better at earning targets? Was it just that Keenan Allen couldn't get the job done and the slack kind of had to be picked up by Williams? Or is it some combination of both? So personally, I think there are holes in both of these players. I'm not super happy to take either of them at ADP. 
Uh, I really like Josh Palmer. So may maybe that's just some bias showing through there that I'm justifying that in a backwards direction. Uh, but I think there are reasons to certainly worry about Keenan Allen this year. And I'm, I'm curious if you can make me feel better about Mike Williams. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, I, I think the, the most important question there was, you know, did he suddenly become better at, at that? And, and I don't think it's that he suddenly got better. I think that's the plan. I don't think this is a fluke. Uh, if you break down his actual route tree for this past year, compared to his entire tenure with uh with the chargers this is the first year where he dropped his a dot he started running more inside i believe it was his slant routes now are the highest they've been in his career and i mean we all love palmer palmer's awesome and when when he was coming in i thought he was actually just going to straight up replace mike williams he had the contract coming up it made total sense that they would just go well, Mike, it's great to have you here, man. You've been here for a while. Here's a handshake on the way out the door. Cool. We got Palmer coming in. He's going to run the exact same heat map that you ran, that he ran in college. So sweet. We're just going to, we're just going to move it in. That's what we're going to do. And it does seem like that's happening, but it's almost like now they're moving to a first in first out philosophy. <laughs> All right. Well, Keenan, you've been here for a while. We've had you, you know, run you know, either mostly out of the slot or we'll move you around the formation and, and you're going to be our possession guy. We're going to hit you with all those six, seven, eight yard slants. And then we're going to drop it over the top to Mike, but that's just not the game anymore. Williams is becoming way more involved inside the numbers within 15 yards. And like I said, this, this is just looks like the plan. It makes sense. It lines up with the money that they gave him. Keenan hitting 30 years old is you know, that that's pretty much your precipice. Yeah, and Keenan's complicated because, I mean, first of all, he's 100 catches every year. He's 150 targets every year. Like, the consistency is incredible. Um, but with Justin Herbert, you would have expected a boost to his yards per reception or big playability or something. And, I mean, it's like Ryan mentioned, these have been his two worst yards per reception years the last two. And maybe that's not completely fair because we're comparing this to like relative prime Philip Rivers. So Evans did still have a good quarterback before, but it does worry me about Allen that we just got this rocket arm quarterback in and his yards per reception are going down. Like that just does not match up. And that does make me think there's a little bit of a decline going on here. So I think Allen is a little bit like Deontay Johnson, where um, I would be shocked if he kills your season. Um, but we're also talking about a guy who's never reached double digit touchdowns in, in, uh, you know, Keenan Allen, and he just hasn't had that big blow up season. So it's kind of a conflicting things here, a safe player. Um, but we just didn't see that spike that we would have liked to have seen with Herbert. So, I mean, do, do you guys, either of you guys think like with another year of Herbert and just his, you know, ascension in the league that like, maybe he does drag Keenan Allen along with him, or have we just kind of topped out here on Allen? I think we've pretty much, we've seen what we're going to see from him. And I, I, this is, this is the decline. And I, again, you just follow the actions of the organization, they seem pretty clearly like they're going to be moving forward. Yeah, I mostly agree um, with, with Keenan Allen. It seems kind of cut and dry to me, honestly, that he's turned 30. This is usually when the wide receiver production starts to flatten out or fall off a bit. Uh, but the thing with Mike Williams is if we apply the same logic, we, it's just so rare that we see fifth year breakouts with wide <laughs> receivers. So it, it has me a, a little nervous, like what white knuckle on the steering wheel is, is this for real? Or are we being fooled? 
but I, I don't, I don't want to say like somebody has to get targeted because that that's super lazy and annoying, but somebody has to get targeted. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I still don't think I know what to do with these guys. Uh, maybe I'll start taking Williams a little bit more, but I, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I have any more to add. Okay. Well, let's get into um, wrapping up this tier here. Um, Ryan, I think you had some points on uh, Michael Pittman's ranking here. You want to get into I do. So I, just background here. I have had a hard time getting much Michael Pittman. His expert consensus ranking is wide receiver 12. Chris has him down at wide receiver 23. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to be the one that gets to defend Michael Pittman for once, uh, especially as a more data focused person, because you it, traditionally Michael Pittman has been the guys that the film guys love and the data guys hate. But I think it's flipped now, honestly. So we know Pittman is capable of a 26% target share. That's alpha. That's very dominant. He will far and away be the number one target on the Colts. Uh, he is competing for targets with Paris Campbell, who I, I really hope we get to see Paris Campbell healthy on the field this year. Fingers crossed. Uh, but either way, the, there was a quarterback upgrade for the Colts. Matt Ryan is... I think safe to say better than Carson Wentz, even at this point in their careers. So it just seems really clear and cut and dry to me that Pittman shouldn't be down at wide receiver 23. I think he should be above players like Darnell Mooney, another player that we is young. We know can command a lot of targets, but is on probably a worse offense than the Colts or Rashad Bateman, another player who we hope can command a lot of targets. There's reason to be optimistic uh, but it, it's tough to project Bateman for over a 25% target share this year. And we already know Pittman can do that. Uh, and then even comparing him to Terry McLaurin, I feel like this is a similar situation. Alpha receiver we know is going to dominate the targets on a bad team. I am taking Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz. So I am taking Michael Pittman over Terry McLaurin. I, is, am I oversimplifying this, Chris? I, I want to hear your thoughts. No. Uh, this is one of those things where I feel like I might be making it too complicated <laughs> and, and I can, you know, it, it's not going to be a hundred percent. And again, the, the tier itself is fluid for me. So if you think that Pittman is a better value where you, where he's going fine, I can't pull the trigger on him as a wide receiver one, just walk away from my table going, well, I nailed that one. Got Pittman is my one. I can't do that. I just can't. And a lot of it is, this is where I kind of move slightly from, hey, here's this entire data range that I found. I'm going to break it down, et cetera, et cetera. No, this time it's just kind of watching the games, watching the tape, especially with all the Colts games I had to break down last year. It's <laughs> The problem with Pittman, for me at least, is that I never thought, here he is. This guy's going to take over this game. The other defense is going to come in here and they're going to plan for him. And here we go. And, you know, to his credit, again, like you had said, that target share was definitely in, in an alpha range. He doesn't have a ton of, of challenges for targets, except I think he does more so than, than we're saying. I don't think the volume is going to be there. And if the, if the Colts are going to be as, dependent on their backs as they seem i'm not going to say like oh well heinz is going to eat into Pittman's 26 percent. i don't think that i do think that 
if you're gonna bring in Matt Matt Ryan, you don't really know what you have in a I believe 37 you know year old quarterback who just got absolutely whooped behind the Atlanta line last year. Well, guess what? The Colts line was awful last year in pass protection. At one point, they were the second worst graded offensive line, of course, in front of only the Dolphins. We've touched on how terrible they were. And I can't just expect, oh, yeah, let's get 37-year-old Matt Ryan, go throw it to Michael Pittman, who's never really outworked the other targets on the team. Because even when he's had his opportunity, oh, T.Y. Hilton came back for three games, so he out-targeted him. That was bad. That's not something you want. Granted, that was his rookie year, so there's obviously going to be learning curves and different situations like that. I just can't sit here in goodwill and say, oh, Matt Ryan is so definitively an, a, an upgrade from Carson Wentz that I can't wait till they throw the ball 600 times. It's just not going to happen. I think it's just because I don't see the rise in his development. Excellent second year jump. I'm all behind that. But when I look at other people like Jerry Judy or Bateman, I know that you said that you don't see 25% as a realistic possibility. I do. And I do because of the way that that offense is condensed. Unlike the Colts. Matt Ryan isn't going to just say, okay, well, I have Pittman. 100% of my my eye is going to Pittman. He's going to work it around. If Pittman's not going to get open this time to the same degree as having competition on the field, I I just, I don't know, I just can't see it. Yeah, I will say the Colts have talked up, I think, 15 different pass catchers this offseason. So uh, we know how they like to rotate tight ends already. So I I can see that point, Chris, is that this is just, this philosophy with Frank Reich is very uh, piece it together in the receiving core. I still like Pittman. um, But yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan looked really bad behind that Falcons offensive line last year. I hope he's got another gear, but um, it is cause for concern. So what, what do you think about that, Ryan? Yeah, I what I was just going to say is I want to give Chris props for bringing that offensive line ranking to my attention because I really thought of the Colts offensive line as great last year, but I suppose that was probably in run blocking, which is yep. normally what we were thinking of the Colts line is doing. Uh, yeah, I think that is concerning for Matt Ryan. He At this stage in his career, he really needs strong pass protection to succeed. So yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't drafting Pittman at wide receiver 12 anyway. I'm just playing devil's advocate here and tearing up your rankings because that's what I do. Uh, but I I think you got me there a little bit. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to go out and start drafting Pittman after this. I've actually seen him as high as 10th wide receiver 10. Uh, if you filter for the last, I think it was two weeks over on uh, NFCC, it was wide receiver 10. And that's just that's just too high for me. I can't do it. I can't pull that trigger. Yeah, and I, I do think that this is going to be a play-action heavy offense. Ryan is going to be a lot better at that than Carson Wentz was. I think the offense is going to be better. It's just a matter of how all these targets are spread around. So mm-hmm. um, before we move on from this tier, Chris, I, you've got Rashad Bateman and Brandon Ayuk quite a bit higher than consensus. Um, do you want to talk about these two a little bit, just why you like them so much and what you kind of see? They're both about 10 spots higher than, than consensus in your rankings. Sure. Uh, actually, if uh, Ryan doesn't mind me starting out with Ayuk, I'd like him to start out w- with Bateman because I really enjoyed what he was bringing to the table with that. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you have it. Sure. Yeah, I, I can talk about Rashad Bateman all day. This is my <laughs> So Rashad Bateman is my player that I really like 
but I swear nobody else wants to let me like him because he is being drafted so clearly above all of these other sophomore wide receivers that we think and hope could break out. Check out my sophomore wide receiver article for more on the history of that. Uh, But when you look at Bateman and you compare him to players like Elijah Moore, Devonta Smith, Amon Ross St. Brown, these other players were outdoing him in target share, in yards per team attempt, in all of these peripheral efficiency statistics that we talk about. So all I can do is look at Bateman going usually about a round higher than all those other names I mentioned and just think this is the vacated targets trap. The reason that his ADP is so high is because Hollywood Brown got traded and people just want to assign all of his targets to Rashad Bateman and say that he's a shoo-in for a 25% plus target share. I think 25% is like a reasonable ceiling outcome projection for Bateman's target share. He only had 16% last year. Yes, he was a rookie. Yes, we see progression, but that that would be quite the jump. That would be a Michael Pittman-like jump, really. And he's being priced like it's a foregone conclusion or at least a more likely outcome than it is for guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, like Elijah Moore, uh, who are on offenses that could arguably throw the ball more. I I think there are just so many reasons that people prop Bateman up out of the group of breakout wide receivers we have this year that I disagree with. And it makes me really angry because I really like Rashad Bateman and I don't like when other people (laughs) like him for reasons I don't like. (laughs) So that all makes sense. And absolutely. And one of the, the, the things that did stick out to me was his target share. When he was on the field, however, he was still a top 30 receiver in terms of target share. And I think that's the more important one that sticks out to me because it's not as big a jump at that point when you consider how often he was off the field in his first year. And a lot of that isn't just, oh, he was hurt or, well, you know, he just didn't have it. And and Hollywood was out there beating him out. And, you know, Tyler Huntley was quarterback for far too long in the season, sadly for them. Uh, but I guess good for Mark Andrews. I just, if you come into it now and say, all right, well, he's going to jump from when he's targeted on the field from like 20% to 28% or, or some kind of jump more like that, it's a little more palatable. And the the thing isn't just that Hollywood left, it's what he left behind in, as far as the role. Not how many targets or anything like that, because those are going to be up to the individual receiver. But that offense runs with essentially two pass catching options. It is very, very condensed. And the Ravens did nothing to bring in competition because they said, okay, well, we have, we have options behind you, DuVernay and Proche, and, and we're going to give them rotational chances. But realistically, the Ravens haven't had an X like this that's going to be able to work every single level of the field successfully. You don't have to worry about, oh, can we put him outside because he's going to get bullied. They don't have to worry about that because now they just let him out there and let him bully instead. I, if you just look at the actual, this is, again, where film could, could take like that extra leap. Because I think that if you really watch all of his, uh, even just his pro tape, actually, the way that he's able to lose defenders, again, especially on those cuts, that is just not something that the Ravens have seen in that offense. 
totally fair that the, the volume is not, you know, they're not the bucks. They're not going to throw it that many times, but they're not going to take a regression on that either. And part of that was what they had in house. And if you want to say it was a matter of running backs, they're still not back to a hundred percent. And how often do you really think the Ravens are just Jones to throw Gus Edwards out there? It's just not a thing. So I, I actually do think that 25% isn't even just the ceiling. I think it is slightly higher than that. I could see a 27 to 28% coming from, from him if he makes the jump talent-wise that I'm expecting. Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm cool with all of that, but only if we're also cool with Elijah Moore 28% target share this year and Devontae. <laughs> like, I, I can go on and on and on. Um, I won't give you Devonta, but I'll, I'll give you Elijah. All right, awesome. We can meet in the middle there. <laughs> I uh, like it. <laughs> yeah. So you you had some thoughts on Brandon Ayuk that I want to make sure don't get lost. So wh- why don't you go ahead and give us those? Sure. Uh, I should probably start. Also, that yeah, I am the the, the Trey Lance truther around here, definitely. Uh, but this has this isn't just because I want to say Lance is so good that he's going to elevate everybody. It's not quite like that. It's, again, listening to the organization and seeing what they did in the offseason. They addressed the Debo situation. Everyone had basically said, hey, there's no way he's going to do this. I think his camp actually came out and said such. However, he was paid, and now all of a sudden it's, what are you talking about? I love this role. Go to my personal shop and buy this T-shirt I have. That all makes sense. That works. It was leverage. He got his payday, although, personally, he's got a get a better agent or something because that that was not enough for what he uh for what he gained but that is the role that i needs him to play for him to hit this ceiling or even higher than than i think he can do because i do think that a top 15 uh finish is well within reason jimmy just could not reach him jimmy had his own limitations his arm strength was probably the biggest thing you know, whether it was injury or otherwise, he just could not make the plays downfield. Where, of course, Ayuk was getting open. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, well, you know, was in, he was new to the position, so he wasn't quite getting it. He did get it. You know, if you break down his route tree, he absolutely dominated. He had one of the best uh, posts in the game. One of the only ones that, that beat him out, actually, uh, for, for success rate was Devo. <laughs> So it's not that, you know, and now you again, he's done this. He's led the team. He was their, their wide receiver one. And he had spare parts throwing to him, but he still led the team. And he did show that he could run the ball. He could catch the ball. And if they really want to get everyone involved, I do think that, that you could have two receivers from there in the top 15. Ayuk is fascinating. I mean, Man, 2020 seems like so long ago at this point. But his rookie year, I mean, he was doing a Debo Samuel impersonation. Like you said, I mean, it was quick hitters and him just running after the catch and looking explosive. And I, I when you couple that talent of Ayuk with his route running ability, um, yeah, I I get excited with Ayuk. It's there's always the Shanahan, you know, kind of doghouse hanging over his head. And I think for a lot of us, that's what scared us off of drafting Brandon Ayuk. So uh, I don't know if, if Shanahan's on board, I'm on board. It's just a matter of how long we get that uh, kind of um, we got to see Lance break out first. And then we need to see Shanahan kind of uh, help us in the fantasy community and feed Ayuk some targets here. Just a one very, very last little anecdote for that before uh, we were to move on. So he has done this. 
from week eight until the end of the season last year, he was wide receiver 16. This isn't just out of nowhere. So if that's the system that's going to help him thrive, and now it's going to be full go all the time like that, the only reason that I would have to doubt him in any way would just be touchdowns. Because we really don't know how that dynamic's going to work out. You do have a lot of options in the red zone. Yep. Uh, Lance would have had another passing touchdown last year, but Debo dropped a, uh, a wide open pass near the boundary against Arizona. Coincidentally, that was on the next play when Lance got stuffed at the goal line. So assuming that, okay, now it's another one you add in. It's it's just, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Lance is going to run it. Maybe they're going to sweep it out. Maybe it's how you, maybe it's, you just, you just don't know. All right. Um, I think we can probably move on from there. Um, I will note you are 11 spots higher on DeAndre Hopkins. Um, but other than that, um, I, I think we've touched on most of this tier. So we can move on to uh, tiers four and five. We're just going to kind of combine here. Obviously, lots of names listed here. Um, this goes up through uh, wide receiver 60. So, um, Ryan, let's just start out with some of the leftovers here and some of the questions that you had for Chris with these rankings. Yeah, so I, I got to make sure that we talk about the Chiefs wide receivers at yeah. some point here. Uh, so you have Juju Smith-Schuster ranked as wide receiver 36. Expert consensus has him wide receiver 31. And then we look at Sky Moore. You have him at wide receiver 48, a little above consensus, who has him at 52. Uh, so personally, I'm drafting a ton of both of these players. I'm well ahead of you and consensus on both of them. With Juju... I understand that he's probably just a 20% target share type of player. Uh, he's been earning targets at a pretty stable rate throughout his entire career, even though his production has been kind of up and down. Uh, it's really been his efficiency that has been a bit of a roller coaster. I'm willing to blame that on Ben Roethlisberger's like disgusting decline in Pittsburgh over the last couple of years. Uh, but when we look at, a player like Juju on the Chiefs, I get really interested all of a sudden. I Usually I'm not all that into the 20% target share, mostly slot guys, but I think we want him over guys like Hunter Renfro, Adam Thielen, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, all guys that you have ranked over him. Uh, so I, I'm curious if there's a take here that your high conviction that Juju was washed or something like that. Uh, so I, yeah, go for it. So I, I don't think that they're washed. And I actually do like them uh, as far as, like you had said, you're drafting a piece of that everywhere. I, I think you would be out of your mind not to get some piece of that, just given the price. It's very easy to come by. You shouldn't just be fading them for the sake of fading them. It's just that when you look at what Juju's done over his career, he's got most of uh, success, I believe, in the slot, but then you bounce him outside. And that's great. That's great that he has that multifaceted ability where you can put him outside, you can put him in the slot. doesn't even matter. X, Z, whatever. And what did we hear about Sky Moore coming in? A lot of the exact same stuff. And without them having a defined role, my worry is that they essentially cannibalize each other's targets because they each have similar, basically everything down the line. They kind of brought in what could be a slightly better juju with Sky Moore. And I, when you're talking about, well, who's going to work over the middle of the zone, it's Kelsey. I, I don't see that going anywhere. It's not going to be the rookie that, like every other rookie typically, sorry, every other typical rookie needs that time to ramp up as the season goes. 
So maybe Juju's the better early season buy, but then Sky's the better late season buy. But the best buy was just paying up for Travis Kelsey. I hate that I have MVS as high as I do. That that one hurts my soul. He's a bad receiver. But sometimes they just look at it and think, well, here's the opportunity. We know what he can do. Maybe in a slightly different situation, we get slightly better results. A couple drops here and there. Maybe he was actually pretty good. He wasn't, but maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they can just work that in. The Again, so the problem is he has a role. Kelsey has a role. The backs out of the backfield have a role. I like that they have the bouncing back and forth. I just don't know if there's any kind of consistency that you can look at and say, oh, well, the down weeks are worth it because I get those big burst weeks. I don't see that you do. I don't see one necessarily is definitely going to pull away from the other in that system, you know, at the same time. That's been tough on the Chiefs for me. I just there's, there's so much confusion in these roles and there's so many players that fill the same roles. I mean, even MVS and Nicole Hardman, I'm a little confused how we separate them out. So uh, was that enough for you, Ryan, to uh, back you off of Juju or are you still drafting him like crazy? I'm still drafting Juju. I'm still drafting Sky. Uh, I agree with you on it feels a little insane that MVS got as much money as he did. Uh, I, But I think that's something we have to remember um, when, when we are comparing like contracts that NFL teams hand out is a player like MVS might, might actually be more important to as far as quote unquote real football goes for a team than somebody like Juju. Generally slot wide receivers are pretty easy to come by. You can get good production out of a lot of them. They're not really scarce in the league. Look, look at what guys like Hunter Renfro were doing last year. Uh, but when it comes to that player that is going to stretch the field on the outside, you're not going to throw it to them all the time. But the fact that they're out there, that they are running that go route and that they are the threat to take the top off the defense and absorb those two high safeties that the NFL loves doing now. I, I think that that, role is valuable even if it's not resulting in mvs earning a bunch of targets which has not happened for most of his career so that's like a little rationalization i guess i kind of agree with you that juju and sky's roles seem amorphous and a little interchangeable uh but i don't know that that's the worst thing i i think that that's a philosophy that uh, around the nfl some have been embracing i i mean if you look at kyle shanahan uh, not not really so much with the, with him just putting anybody in the wide back role, but you saw how seamlessly IU just took over Debo's kind of outside target dominating role in the second half when Debo's roles shifted. Uh, some some of these offensive coordinators like having their guys be interchangeable and doing different things with them. So I I don't know I I'm not really concerned i'm not drafting juju and sky on the same teams uh but i i think that both should be drafted early and earlier and more often by most people yeah and uh actually i really liked one of the points you did bring up there though about taking the you know absorbing the the safety over the top because that was one thing that we talked about all offseason regarding mahomes was, oh, did he just all of a sudden forget how to be Patrick Mahomes because they played an extra safety over the top? Sounds ridiculous. But 
who is going to take that underneath? Because now if you really want both of them to pay off at their price, if MVS ends up being the downfield decoy, they're not probably both going to be on the field at the same time because now you're talking about a constant three to four wide receiver set, depending on where they're on the pecking order, who gets on the field that time. It just There just seems to be so many question marks. Uh, and I like that you brought up Hunter Renfro. And because that, I feel, is the receiver that does fill that role of bouncing outside and inside, but doesn't have to come off the field and doesn't have anyone in the same role as him. He's not just their slot. He can play outside and has had success. It's not ideal, but he has shown you know, he's hit the proper threshold for beating uh, man coverage, especially that he can get out there without being a detriment. Well, let's uh, let's get into a receiving core that I have been fading all offseason, really an offense I've been fading, um, the New Orleans Saints wide receivers, um, mainly Michael Thomas. Chris, you have him at wide receiver 42. Uh, Chris Alave, wide receiver 55. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on these rankings from Chris's here? Yeah, I've also been fading the Saints pretty much entirely. So as a result, I'm not sure I have a great take on which one that I want. Uh, but it, it was just sort of a thought of a thought experiment I was running when I was typing up these show notes. Uh, what if all these positive reports about Jameis Winston aren't total BS and the saints actually throw more this year? I, I mean, their offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael has been with the staff through most of these years of Drew Brees, absolutely dominating the league through his passing offense. Uh, and was even calling plays in some of those years. So it, it's not as if there was a sudden philosophy shift by the Saints coaching staff, uh, even when Sean Payton was still there. Uh, it You could pretty easily talk yourself into the story that th there were literally no wide receivers to throw to on the Saints last year. I, I, they have three new ones now. Uh, I Without looking, my guess would be that other than Alvin Kamara, the most heavily targeted Saints receiver was Marquez Callaway last year. That might not even be correct. Uh, so I think that proves the point that the extreme run heaviness that we saw last year could, could have just been a result of circumstance and personnel. And as a result, maybe all of the Saints pass catchers are being drafted too low. I, we know Jameis can and likes to air it out. It's not as if we've never seen this out of Jameis Winston before. So I, I'm kind of curious, Chris, uh, since... You are also lower than consensus on both of these receivers. Sort of who do you prefer and how, how do you approach differentiating between these guys? So I know that I have uh, Michael Thomas kind of low. And yet at the same time, I'm not elevating a lot of and, and so that might work against itself. But it's much more about Thomas than anything else. And it's because... If you're going to pay up for him, which it's been a slight increase, but I, I believe last time he was in about the, the middle of the seventh round, that's an appropriate spot, and I'm totally for it. But, again, when you look at who's being drafted around him, what you're giving up, just even in the tiers, if you will, uh, I, I think that you know people disrespect Jacoby Myers a lot. Uh, just... Juju again. I would trust Juju's role and even the ambiguity, <laughs> ambiguousness going around with all of that over just blatantly trusting Michael Thomas. He has shown obviously that he could be the best wide receiver in football. 
I don't want to take anything away from him. It has to do with me saying this guy has been now basically out of the game for two years. That is too long for me to just say, oh, they said he looked great in camp. Let's put him in the top 15. I can't do that and just feel good about it. So it's more about finding a rank where I would say, okay, this is now where the risk outweighs everyone else around him. So if you're going to, you know, draft him in the same round as say Alan Lazard, I'm going to take Michael Thomas a hundred percent of the time, not even going to bat an eye on that one because his ceiling is so much worth what I think I can get compared to Alan Lazard. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Uh, speaking of the Saints target leaders last year, uh, Marquez Callaway first, Alvin Kamara second, <laughs> Deontay Harris third, Traquan Smith fourth, Adam Troutman. Uh, then we got Mark Ingram, Ty Montgomery. It's a it's a real banner group here of uh, pass catchers in, in New Orleans last year. So, okay. So none of us seem particularly high on Michael Thomas. Uh, Olave was seen as the most pro-ready rookie coming in. I know that there are some questions about uh, what he can do after the catch, but are we like maybe just not spending enough time on Olave? Is he a nice discount here at the end of drafts or is there a good reason why he's so low in these rankings? I think it's not that great a discount at all. Uh, and if you're going to say that he looked the most pro ready, he better. He was a senior playing at Ohio State. If that's not going to have you pro ready, just stop playing football. That's <laughs> all there is to it. And when you when you go back and look at his uh, his his record, it's all red flags coming out. I can see why people want to elevate him. And honestly, I think he looks great when you compare him with uh, Winston's arm. You know, bringing that together, I, I think that was a really great pick for them just overall. But if we're talking this year that he just comes in and all of a sudden he's a thousand yard receiver just because he meshes well, I'm not going to buy that. He'll be able to run it downfield, but he's going to catch it and then he's going to fall down. And that's provided that he doesn't get muscled off of his roots. Because again, he was a senior who did not lead his team in receiving. I I just can't get over that part, especially. And he did have the capital coming out. If he wanted to, he could have come out over, over his junior year, and that's fine. But he got 65 of his 175 career receptions as a senior. And again, did not lead his team. I, I, I can't. There's just so many red flags that I can't just say, oh, yeah, just boost him up because he looked good with the arm. I, I can't. All right. And we're getting pretty far into this one. So I, I want to make sure that we give you a chance to defend your Donovan Peoples-Jones ranking. So um, <laughs> this was the one that stood out for me. I'm, I'm a sicko. I just, I, you know, I get down to the bottom of the ranks and I'm like, oh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, wide receiver 52. That's crazy. So that one caught my eye. Uh, why are you ranking Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, quote unquote so high, even though it's pretty late in drafts? Yeah. He's late in the draft. He's basically free. And he performs when he's targeted. Problem is, it's been Stefanski's conservative style offense with Baker's arm. Now you put on, now he's the number two. It's a clear cut number two. And you have Amari Cooper on the other side. Amari Cooper should easily dominate that entire team in, in targets. Should, should dominate that team in targets. But now they're throwing out contracts to Njoku. Who's going to take the ball in the middle of the field? Is it going to be Amari? Is it going to be him? It's going to... It doesn't matter because 
Donovan Peoples-Jones plays a completely different position, essentially, from everyone else on the team except maybe Schwartz, who was injured in the preseason again. And you just, I, I don't trust him regardless. Peoples-Jones, however, again, if you can get him the targets, he's got the contested uh, catches, he breaks away at the top of his routes. I have no problem with a big arm just trying to feed him the ball. I think you can see some big plays. I love him in best ball. And I, it's, this has the feeling of Van Jefferson kind of, and I think I have them ranked pretty similarly, where it was a guy that was number three that, you know, if he'd, if, you know, no Allen Robinson, maybe Van Jefferson gets propped up even more, but then it depends on, you know, just many different factors. But, but with people, Jones, people's Jones specifically, I just like the idea that now you can get someone to truly work over the top. Because Cleveland hasn't even attempted that in years. And their main guy was was Jarvis Landry. Uh, there's just not a whole lot you're working with there. It's cool. Let's play action. We'll boot it out to the side and we hit him eight yards downfield. Win for the team. But that's that's not going to be the offense. They didn't, you know, just pay up hundreds of millions of dollars to run Stefanski's standard offense. It's just not going to happen. So with the price and and his position and what he's able to do at the top of his routes, I really like the uh, the combination there. It, it, for the price, of course, because again, like you said, I have him in the 50s, so it's not exactly wide receiver two territory here. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ryan, anything from these last couple tiers that you wanted to comment on? Just any last thoughts? Um, just uh, the back half of this receiver rankings here. Yeah, sorry, I don't have my own original take. I just, I just want to respond to the Donovan Peoples-Jones stuff. <laughs> uh, so you, you say that he's great when he's targeted, and I, I don't doubt that. I, I'm sure he's putting up amazing highlight plays when he is. My problem with these types of players is, sure, when they're targeted, they're great, but they have to actually get targeted to begin with. Uh, so last year, which was his second year in the league, DPJ was only being targeted on 14% of his routes. And he wasn't all that efficient either. 1.46 yards per out run. That, that's not horrible, but it, he's not, not exactly the transcendently efficient small sample type of player that you are hoping grows his role. Uh, I, and obviously, being fully transparent, uh, I'm an extreme David Bell truther. His, Bell's ADP has been falling and falling and falling for two months straight, basically. And I've just kept drafting him. And I have him like 37% or something like that on underdog. The ridiculous amount of David Bell. Uh, so I, he's the one that I see taking over the larger role as the season goes on in this offense. But I to totally respect your take on DPJ. Um, I, I, and I think that that, probably is a good uh, juxtaposition of how both of us approach player evaluation. Yeah. All right. Um, so before we get out of here, Chris, any uh, late sleepers you just want to touch on real quickly, just, uh, you know, receivers yeah. for people to keep an eye on at the end of drafts. Sure. Lightning round here. Uh, yeah. So get KJ Osborne. He is a thing. He's arguably a top five, uh, you know, wide receiver three in the league. Uh, assuming that the roles kind of blend more between his own and Thielen's, I'm basically getting him everywhere I can, especially in Dynasty, especially expecting it to to kind of just completely take over uh, the next couple of years. Thielen's contract is iffy, but I'm sure that that can be worked around. And his ADP is in the 13th round for redraft. No risk 
on that one. Um, Jacoby Myers kind of touched on him quickly. So much disrespect. He is an integral part of the system. They've been talking about maybe reworking the system to be more of a zone. If that is the case, they're going to need guys like him that work around the line of scrimmage. Uh, the husk of Devontae Parker is not going to just all of a sudden come in and break 900 yards. Uh, I think I'd heard something earlier where he hasn't broken you know, 650 yards or something like that more than once or twice in his entire uh, career. It, it was very unflattering. We'll just say that. And I think his, his uh, right now his prop for yardage is under 700 yards. Draft Jacoby Myers. Wide receiver 29 last year. I think he's going in the 60s or something insane like that that just has no right being where it is. Uh, and lastly, my pet cat, Paris Campbell. Uh, he is on essentially every every roster I have. Uh, still waiting for the great breakout. 16th round, and he's Indianapolis's biggest playmaker. I'll, I'll say it like that. Or most explosive playmaker. Pittman is by far, obviously, the best receiver they have. I would never argue that. But Paris Campbell, you know, hey, here you go. Here's one game. Oh, 50-yard touchdown. Great. Blew the defense away. Excellent. Okay, yeah, you're hurt again. Bye. But he was great when he was in there. So come on, Paris. Just give me one year. <laughs> yeah, Paris Campbell, uh, he, he's uh, your Will Fuller, basically. That's uh, I can't yeah. I can't help but draft Will Fuller. So, And I, I will just say, uh, J- there's no Jacoby Myers disrespect here. I uh, He's one of my most drafted players. We, we, we talked about him a few weeks ago. I think this is a Jacoby Myers podcast here, so we could officially seal that in. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a a great rundown of Chris's wide receiver rankings here. Um, Please check them out um, on the website. Um, We've got tons of stats here, write-ups of all 60 players. So um, Chris, it was really great having you on. I appreciate it. Um, We will have you on again sooner. I promise the next time. I was trying to hold out on maybe uh, Jimmy Garoppolo finally leaving the 49ers so we could talk about that quarterback situation. (laughs) And uh, that's gone on a few months past where I thought. So um, maybe we'll have you back on after that happens. So uh, thanks, Chris, for joining me. Thanks, Ryan, for joining me. Um, everyone out there, thanks for listening. Uh, check out QBList.com for all their rankings, um, all kinds of good stuff. We're uh, really rolling out the articles right now. So uh, we will talk to you next time. I think we'll probably be coming at you with the quarterback and tight end rankings. So um, enjoy the training camp news, and we'll be back with you soon.